This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, April 7th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include a slew of Apple updates were released last week for its operating systems, but Apple's security approach likely endangers users of macOS Big Sur and Catalina. We'll have the details. The popular and widely used email newsletter service MailChimp recently had a data breach. What should you be looking out for? More and more reports are servicing of AirTags being used to track people instead of belongings. Was this anticipated? What other tracking devices are used for similar surveillance? Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing good. I want to open with a public service announcement. The next Worldwide Developer Conference has been announced. It's going to be held from June 6 to 10. It will again be virtual, as it has been in the past couple of years. So we will find out on June 6 all about new things like probably the Mac Pro, maybe the bigger, more powerful iMac, and maybe something else. Right. They typically announce hardware as well as software. You always, of course, get a preview of the next versions of Mac OS and iOS because it's a developer conference and they're trying to encourage developers to work with all the new features and functionality of the operating systems. But yeah, June 6th and virtual again. I think a lot of people were hoping that maybe it would be back in person again because you know we're we're kind of at a point I think in the pandemic that a lot of um, conferences and things are starting to go back to in person but Apple opted to do online there's actually some advantages to doing it all online certainly a lot more people can participate than you know pre-pandemic when people were actually physically going to, you know, the WWDC event, you know, not as many people could get in. There were room limitations on how many people you could fit and so forth. And I think given the way COVID is going, there's always a chance that something will happen between now and then. And if it was physical, they would have to cancel everything. Yeah, so th this is is a good thing for Apple, uh, certainly a good thing for developers, because a lot more developers can participate. We're going to talk about Apple's weird security approach. It's putting users of Big Sur and Catalina in a great deal of danger in the second part of the show. But we're going to start by talking about some recent updates, which kind of fuel this neglectful danger that we're going to talk about later. So tell us about the latest updates to everything. Well, you know the drill by now. When Apple releases updates, they pretty much update just about everything at once. So that's kind of the, the typical thing that Apple will do. So last week on March 31st, which happened to be the same day that uh, the last episode of the podcast went up and the day after we recorded. Of course. <laughs> uh, well, hold on. Hold on. It used to be just after we recorded on the same day. So this time they waited another day. Yes, they did wait another day. This time they had updates for uh, the biggest ones really were macOS Monterey and iOS 15 that both got updates. So Monterey is now at 12.3.1. iOS and iPadOS are at 15.4.1. They fixed some bugs, mostly like hardware related to, you know, with specific models and things like that. The security issues, though, that's definitely worth mentioning. In macOS Monterey 12.3.1, they fixed two significant security vulnerabilities. Apple says they were aware of reports that the issue may have been actively exploited. That means that these have been used in the wild in real world attack scenarios. So it's very important to make sure that you upgrade to the latest version of macOS Monterey as soon as possible. Also the same thing for iOS and iPadOS, 
Only one of those vulnerabilities actually affects those operating systems. The other vulnerability was in the Intel graphics driver component. So it really only affects older Macs, pre-M1 Macs. And so, of course, there's no Intel graphics component in iPads and iPhones, so it doesn't affect those devices. Okay, so we've got an article on Motherboard, Vice's tech page, saying police records show women are being stalked with Apple AirTags across the country. And we've talked about this several times. A few episodes ago, we mentioned a number of specific cases about the way people have been followed with AirTags. But it's gotten to the point now that these are cases around the country in different places. Now, there is a copycat effect. If you have an article saying that someone can be followed like this and it's dangerous, then people who want to follow people will know that they can use it and make it dangerous. Worth pointing out that this article does not say how many people are being followed by other types of GPS devices that don't give any sort of notification or alert or anything at all. You know why? Because... Apple gets headlines. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, I, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to take pot shots at, at a very popular tech company. I, I kind of understand the, the feeling, right? Like, I mean, I, I'm known to uh, be very critical of Apple sometimes in, in my articles. So um, as we'll talk about later, this is definitely something that's getting more attention because Apple has a product that can be used to help you stock people. And that sounds scary and bad. But I mean, technically, you kind of have already been able to do that. If you drop a, you know, a little bit more expensive device, you've been able to do this with, you know, an iPhone that you stick in somebody's bag or things like that. It's it's more complicated to do something like that. And and there's a lot bigger risk of losing a lot of money if uh, <laughs> your iPhone doesn't return to you. But yeah, just the fact that Apple has a little tiny cheap device that can be used to track people is very interesting, I think, to a lot of people. To be fair, a GPS tracker would be more efficient because you have to have an iPhone nearby. Now, if you're tracking someone who has an iPhone with them, that will keep the location. But if that person loses their iPhone or doesn't have an iPhone, then you can't track them as well when they're not around other people. You know, you see these little GPS things that in movies that someone puts under a car with a magnet, right? I don't think these things are very expensive. And they're, while the battery is not going to last as long as an AirTag battery, they're certainly a, f a lot more effective at tracking people. I, at the same time, I think when people see those things on TV, they don't necessarily know what they're called or, you know, how to search for them, how to, where to buy them. And an AirTag, like everybody knows where to get Apple products, right? So, I mean, you can even buy them uh, in a four pack on Amazon. They've been discounted recently on Amazon. So we're getting up to the one year point for the AirTag. Now, do you have any yourself? I don't remember if you bought any. You know, there have been several times where I thought about getting them, especially when they've gone on sale. I'm interested in them, but I don't have enough practical use for them where I'm going to be using them very often. Okay, so I have several, and I'm just looking on my phone in the Find My app. The battery level of all of them is at about three-quarters or four-fifths. Now, they had originally said the battery should last about a year, and I expected them to be a lot lower. A couple of months ago, my partner's AirTag was giving her a warning that the battery was getting low. So I changed the battery with a battery from one of my AirTags, which now shows the same level as my others. So it could have just been a quirk that hers wasn't giving the right battery level. But at this rate, they're going to last at least three years, if not more, the batteries. So that's pretty good. 
Yeah, that's not bad. Well, and the fact that you can replace the battery, um, that's kind of innovative for an Apple product. <laughs> yes, that's true. It's been a while Are since you've been Are there any other Apple products that. where you can replace a battery? That's a good question. I don't think so. Yeah, it's been a while since you've been able to replace batteries in Apple products. As far as I can recall, I, I don't think any other Apple products right now that they're actively selling has a replaceable battery. So, Do you remember the white MacBook that had a battery that you could pull off the bottom and so you could like buy an extra battery to give yourself double power? Oh, yeah. I, I think there were some power books that had a battery that slipped out. Yeah. Was there even one where you could put a second battery where the DVD was or the CD player? Yeah. Yeah, I used to be able to do that. I, I, In fact, I'm certain it must have been a PowerBook G3 because I, I had one and I remember that it had those slots on both sides. So you could, you know, put batteries or, yeah, like you say, a DVD a drive or whatever. OK, now we've got a warning. You should treat all emails as biohazards. This may sound exaggerated, but there have been some phishing emails coming from real mailing lists that go through MailChimp. Most companies use MailChimp to send email newsletters. It's a very efficient platform. It's easy to subscribe and unsubscribe and all that. So a company called Trezor had data belonging to more than 106,000 customers that was accessed by someone within MailChimp. And then apparently they started sending out phishing emails. So basically... You would be used to getting these emails regularly. You might have a company sends you a weekly or a monthly newsletter, and all of a sudden, this newsletter is going to look exactly like it should, but it's going to have a phishing link. So basically, any email you get with a clickable link, you got to be careful about. We're going to link in the show notes to an article on the Intigomac Security blog that shows how to see the links behind images or links in an email. Now, it's a little bit different on iOS now. You used to be able to tap and hold a link and you would see the address show up. Now you see a little preview window. But at the top of the preview window, you do see the name of the domain. So you do have to be careful with all sorts of email that comes from mailing list now. It looks like it wasn't necessarily an inside job. It looks like some hackers managed to gain access to customer accounts. There were about 100 MailChimp customer accounts that were compromised. So that means they the hackers, the the attackers, had the ability to send emails that would appear to have come from any one of those hundred businesses. So that's pretty significant. Okay, we've got one more phishing proof of concept, bit B, B-I-T-B, browser in the browser. We'll link to an Ars Technica article, Behold, a password phishing site that can trick even savvy users. Now, this uses something called OAuth, which is a protocol that you would use to sign in to a website using Google or Facebook or Apple or something like this. I have to say, I don't like these login things that come up as pop-up windows for a number of reasons. I'm always wary that a pop-up window isn't real, but also often these pop-up windows have the email address first and then another window for your password. And password managers don't always work with them. So I have to open my password manager to copy my password. I always find them a bit suspicious. One of the examples in this article is PayPal and PayPal does that, but they don't do a pop-up window, right? They have a, two separate screens for email or mobile number, then you click next and password. Is there any logical reason to do that on two screens instead of one? Um, you know, I've always wondered why they do that. I, I don't think that it's necessary or practical, but maybe they have some reasoning behind it. I don't know. Maybe maybe when you're forced to put in your email address or phone number, they like validate whether you actually have an account before they ask for your password. But I mean, it's not really necessary to do that. 
Okay, so how much do we have to worry about this browser in the browser? Well, so this is, this is a proof of concept, but it is something that we could see happen out there in the wild now that people know that you can do this. But basically, the, the idea behind this is that it's not that someone is actually exploiting OAuth. It's that what they're doing is they're putting up a fake OAuth dialog box within your browser window. That's why they're calling this a browser in the browser attack. So there's a fake window that looks like the pop-up that you would expect to see to allow you to sign in. And so when you see that, you might trust it and assume, oh, okay, well, so I have these options continue with Apple or Google or Facebook. And what's actually going on is that it's a window that is not actually a window. It's just being rendered within the web page. So it's not an actual window that's popping up and it's not actually an OAuth authentication dialog box. It's just something that's made to look like it. So of course, when you continue and you put in your credentials, now the website is able to steal those credentials from you. And of course, it'll probably return with, oh, sorry, uh, we're having some trouble authenticating your account. Please try again later or something like that, like a typical phishing page. There have, by the way, been similar attacks like this in the past, um, but I think this one is a little bit more clever just because this is something that potentially you could just, you know, create a phishing page, embed all the code in the page and, you know, be able to um, fish people pretty easily, it seems like. There is, by the way, a way that you can tell whether one of these pop-ups is fake or not. If it appears to be in a new window, what you can do is you can try to drag that window up outside of your browser window. So like above the address bar, for example, and if it gets stuck, if it doesn't go beyond the address bar, then that means it's actually a hidden element within the page. If it's a real window that's actually popped up, then you can drag it all around and it won't stay within that web page. Okay, we're gonna take a break and we're gonna talk about how Apple is endangering people who are not running macOS Monterey. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego world-class protection and utility software for Mac users made by the Mac security experts. Okay, Josh, you've been doing some research and you've discovered that Apple's recent security updates for two zero-day vulnerabilities that are in the wild are not updated for macOS Big Sur and Catalina. That means if you have an old Mac or for some reason, if you didn't want to update your Mac to Monterey last year, you are, well, endangered. 
That's right. Yeah. So this is a pretty serious problem. First of all, we should mention that the two specific vulnerabilities that we're talking about are the ones that we mentioned earlier in the show. All the details on this are in the article. So if there's any questions that you have after we discuss this, definitely refer to the article because it's probably answered there. I, I, I went into a lot of detail. Mickey Jin, who is one of the top reporters of OS vulnerabilities to Apple, reverse engineered Apple's patch for one of those vulnerabilities. And he found that it does affect macOS Big Sur. Now, Apple did not release any patches for macOS Big Sur last week. There were no updates for Big Sur, no updates for Catalina, which is kind of weird. It's a bit unusual for Apple to do this. Most of the time when there are vulnerabilities that are getting patched, they get patched for all three operating systems, at least assuming that they apply to all three operating systems. However, Apple doesn't always patch everything for all three. Where this is a really big deal, though, is that these are known to be actively exploited in the wild according to Apple. So Apple knows this, and you would think that if they did impact other versions of macOS, that they would want to patch them at the same time, because for exactly this reason, right? If the good guys can reverse engineer an Apple patch and find out exactly what the bug was and how to exploit it, then that means that the bad guys can do it too. And so now Apple has has left all of these Big Sur users vulnerable to this vulnerability that is just not being patched. But there's more to it than that. So that's just one vulnerability. The other vulnerability that was patched in only macOS Monterey was a a bug in Intel graphics driver. And although this patch hasn't been reverse engineered yet, we do know that in the past, anytime, just about any time that there's ever been an Intel graphics driver vulnerability, it has impacted every version of Mac OS. And so once again, we have a problem that now not only is this Big Sur that it impacts, but Catalina as well. So why is Apple doing this? That's the real question. Well, one of the problems that I see right at the beginning of your article is you say that Apple has chosen to leave an estimated 35 to 40% of all supported Macs in danger of actively exploited vulnerabilities. Now, Apple often talks about the uptake of iOS for different devices. And I don't know what it is currently. It's something like 70%, if not a little bit more. Usually by the end of a cycle, it's well over 80%. But on the Mac, it's a lot different in part because their old Macs will last a lot longer than old iPhones. So you may have Macs that can't run Big Sur or Catalina and people aren't updating. So this is more than a third of all Macs that are supported, not necessarily all Macs in use, But this is a large number of Macs that are potentially endangered by this. Apple's developer website says that 72% of all devices introduced in the last four years use iOS 15. This is for the iPhone. 57% of iPads use iPadOS 15. If you look at third-party statistics, um, which are usually based on, you know, people viewing web pages that have like a, a stat counter Stat counter, for example, according to them, as of right now, something like 5% of iOS 15 users are on iOS 15.4. 
So, I mean, that's not a ton, but if you include iOS 15.3 in that, we're talking about about 60%. Most people are on a relatively recent version as of the time that that data was collected. Right now, the newest version is 15.4.1, and I imagine that if you were to break it down to that level, um, very few people are are using 15.4.1 because of the thing we talked about recently about how it takes one to four weeks for Apple to notify users that they need to update their device. Unless you go looking for the patch, chances are you're probably not going to know for some period of time that there's an update available. So that's iOS statistics. If, if we look at macOS statistics, unfortunately, the numbers are a little bit muddier because of things that Apple has done to sort of make it more difficult for websites to determine what exact version of macOS you're running. But um, we can estimate that probably about 35 to 40 percent of all Macs are running Big Sur or Catalina at this point. If And if you look at the slice of Macs that are running anything older than Monterey, it's probably somewhere around like 55 to 60% of all Macs that are in active use today that are not running macOS Monterey. So that's pretty significant. Even if we just look at the 35 to 40% that's probably running Big Sur or Catalina right now, that's a huge chunk. That's more than a third of all Apple Mac users who are not getting patches for these actively exploited in the wild vulnerabilities, which is completely crazy to me. And it's pretty likely that a lot of these users who haven't upgraded are in business or education where there are big fleets of computers and that it's a real hassle for them to update. So they just stick with what they have. So it's really important for anyone in that situation to make sure to update the operating system. Of course, this means they have to train the users on all the changes. And the bigger the company, the more complicated that may be. Now, a reasonable person might ask, why hasn't Apple patched Big Sur and Catalina if they are, in fact, vulnerable? And we don't know. We've reached out to Apple multiple times about this, and Apple has not responded to our inquiries. Maybe they're still planning to, but really, it's been a week already. We do know that Apple released some beta versions of some new versions of Big Sur and Catalina's security update. So I guess maybe it's possible that at some point we're going to get these patches. So far, nobody has that, that I know of has reverse engineered those new beta versions to see whether they patch these vulnerabilities or not. But the thing is, this is a trend, isn't it? Oh, yeah. This is something that's been going on for a long time. I mean, we've talked about this be- before multiple times. And you've written articles and given talks at conferences about this over the past few years. Yeah. yeah. Only about a third of the vulnerabilities that were exploited in the wild were patched for all three operating systems or everything that they applied to. And another third were only patched for Big Sur. So we don't have as much data yet for the Monterey era, but uh, there have only been five actively exploited vulnerabilities in macOS Monterey. And the first three, they patched simultaneously for Monterey and Big Sur and Catalina if it applied to Catalina. Now we've got two new vulnerabilities patched for macOS Monterey, and neither one of them got patched for the previous operating systems. And it's been over a week. Okay, so I want to kind of compress this a little bit because there's a lot of detail. You've given a lot of statistics and numbers and it sounds really bad. You've got some scary pie charts with, you know, green, yellow, red and everything. There's really nothing a user can do other than upgrade to Monterey, right? 
Yeah, and you do have a, a handful of Mac models that cannot run macOS Monterey that are still actively being used. It's worth pointing out that the Macs that are compatible with Monterey go back to 2015 and, and a couple of them to 2014 and 2013. The late 2013 Mac Pro, which was the introduction of that model, is compatible with Monterey. The late 2014 Mac Mini. After that, it's 2015, 2016, like the iMac Pro 2017 when it was introduced. So you've got machines that are, well, five years, seven years old. So if you're still not running Monterey, you've got a much older Mac, and there are a lot of downsides to that. You don't have a lot of RAM. You don't have an SSD, most likely. Your hardware's just getting old. You've got a small hard drive, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people may be satisfied with that. Imagine someone using a Mac Mini as a media center. They don't need to update it, but then you're not really worried too much about this sort of security vulnerability because it's not doing much on the internet. There's not much we can do except warn people if you have an older Mac and you can update to Monterey, I mean, this might be a good time to buy an M1 Mac because this is a real leap from your seven or eight-year-old Mac. It's always fun to get a new Mac, and hey, it's worth pointing out that the M1 Macs are starting to appear more and more as refurbished Macs on the Apple website, so you can save 15% on your new Mac. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.